Hey, good morning. We're going to get started here. How's everybody doing? I believe God has things reserved for us that have not entered into our imagination. I believe he has uh, things on a scale we can't even dream about that will deal with the enemy of our lives on the earth. And he's waiting for a church that's attentive enough to his heart to unfold them. And as I've said in the past, heaven is not disturbed by the conflict of the earth. Heaven is not. Because all of the answers in the supremacy of God are, are there and they are evident. They're simply not evident here. And so what God is looking for is a people who will rise up into those things. And the question is, what will it take? What will it take? Well, a friend of our church sent me a prophetic word this week and included the scripture, Psalm 33, verse 16 to 18. And this is what it says. And we declare this today for this community. We declare this for our hearts. We declare this for our destiny and our future. It says, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And so we pray today, this morning, we pray, Father, would you pour out the fear of God upon us? Lord, would you pour out the true fear of God that causes us to behold you and to be fixated upon you and to be oriented around you in our lives? Lord, where we have a regard for your word, where we have a regard for what is in your heart, God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us that capacity, God, to ignore every, every sound, all the sounds of the earth, but to, but to connect into your sound, the sound of your voice, the sound of what you want to bring to the earth, the sound of destiny, the sound of the groaning of creation that the sons of God are entering into, that calls out for a degree of redemption we've never heard about or thought about. God, we choose today to align with you. We choose today to pursue you. We choose today to long after you. And whether we can say it honestly that our heart pants after you as the deer pants for water, we say, Lord, make it so. Father, make it so. Make, give us the realization that every second of our lives, every breath that we take is dependent upon you. Oh, God. Oh, God, we lean into you today. We call out to you. We cry out to you not to overcome your reluctance because you have no reluctance, Lord, but to overcome those parts of our flesh that do not pine after God, do not reach into the heart of God. Father, 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 let's seek the Lord this morning in our worship, please. Just as we're continuing to sing, I want to challenge you. The scripture says, and it is a promise, it says, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And I, don't, I am not ashamed to say this, but that I haven't found the fullness of the God that I know is there. I have not found all of what I need. I have not found everything that the earth requires. And by consequence, that means I have not sought him with all my heart. But I'm telling you, this is the journey. 
As God is working in your heart and isolating those parts that cannot cry out to him, he is adding line upon line, one strand of your heart into another with deep repentance. But we don't know, we cannot see which parts we're missing. So we, we're asking God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We don't even know how to cry out to you with all of our hearts. We don't know how to seek you with all our hearts, God, but we're willing to be taught. We're willing to find out because we need you. Our nation needs you. The kingdom of God is hanging in the balance. God, do something in our hearts. Change our hearts. Give us an ability to seek you with all of our hearts, to cry out with you, not with our lips only, but with all all of our being. You know, I want to do something this morning. I want to change the order as I feel like we need to underscore the significance of what God is after. Father, Father, we invite you to do on earth what you've been longing to do since before the foundation of the earth. Lord, we feel the deep calling unto deep. And yet, Lord, it's like we do not know how to release the cry of the deep. As I share uh, a few things here, there will be a temptation on the part of some of us to to move into a, a realm we're familiar with. And that realm is sorrow over personal sin and personal uh, weakness. And that's not what this is about. This is about something far higher and greater. It will resolve those things. When God comes into your life in a new way, he does shift everything. Revival, yes, people will get saved. The churches will be full uh, and we will be changed. But more than that, there's something on a higher level that he means to do. You know, the Bible says that the weapons of God are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, uh, to the pulling down of strongholds, Uh, and, and yet we are faced with a scenario where we have setback after setback after setback in our lives, whether it's our children backsliding and falling into things that they ought not to some never returning to the Lord, some losing the, 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 the precious years of their lives or whether we lose precious ones to sickness and disease and cancer or accidents or whether we live in a level of mediocrity where we do not have uh, not anything but a marginal capacity to influence our, our, uh, our region or the society around us. All of these things God wants to shift. But more than that, he wants to reveal to us the true nature of the mystery that has been hid in Christ from before the foundations of the earth. But there is this sickness that is upon us that causes us not to discern, not to see, not to perceive. And, uh, and it takes more than a sermon. It takes more than a song. It takes more than a verbal commitment to get that kind of perception. But there, I'm telling you, the overcoming church that's going to finally see the fullness of what God intended is going to be a people who have cried out with their whole heart, God, I want to see what you see, and I want to feel what you feel, and I want to be sensitive to the things that are on your heart. I want to experience your heart, God. And so it begins with this issue, and I've written a few things down. It says, we do not know how to respond to God. We don't know how to respond to God. And as I was praying this morning, God gave me this scripture in Matthew 11. And 11, to, it goes all the way to 24. I don't know how much of it I'm going to read, but this is what it says. It's, Jesus is talking about how John the Baptist came, and they did not receive John the Baptist. And when then Jesus came, and he came representing the very opposite of the spectrum of expressions, and they did not receive Jesus. And this is what he says to them. 
Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied and told John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to know that the same exhortation that was given to that generation is being given to this generation. And just the other night, uh, we were rehearsing the promise that was given to this church years ago where God said he was going to release to us the spirit of Elijah. And uh, the question is, uh, are we going to recognize it? Are we going to acknowledge it? Are we going to receive it? Are we going to have the sensitivity to steward a certain dimension of the kingdom of God and the spirit of God in our midst? They were not able they were not able to receive uh, Elijah. They were not able to receive Jesus. But this is what he says to them after that. He says, to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we have played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourn to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. And uh, what he's saying is this, and I feel like he's saying it to us in, in, in some ways. He's, he's saying, listen, you know, I am trying to train you to respond to me. I, I want to train you to respond to the higher things. You respond to your own sorrow. You respond to the disappointment in your own life. You respond with joy to your grandchildren and your children and to happy things happening to you. But there is, there is a responsiveness to invisible things I want to bring upon a people who instinctively, against the grain, against what's happening in the world, are in touch with something that's far above this reality. And that people are going to bring in another reality. And this is what God is trying to get us to. Years ago, during the Toronto outpouring, I remember I never, was never in Toronto, but all these manifestations started happening in our ministry. And I lived in Vancouver at the time, but I was in Calgary ministering at uh, a church of a friend of mine. And I remember uh, this work that began on, to happen on people. I remember praying for a lady, and she fell down, and she didn't get up for four to five hours. She was uh, right through the afternoon. She was laying slain in the spirit. But I, what I noticed was that while she was laying there, uh, she began to laugh, except it didn't sound like authentic laugh. It didn't sound like somebody who was being who was happy or anything. It sounded like somebody who was pretending to laugh. You know, it seemed canned. It seemed artificial not authentic, but she began to laugh, and I, as I was praying for others, I could still hear her because she was, she was loud and manifesting loud, but what happened is over the next 20 to 25 minutes, the laugh started to become authentic. It started to become real. It started to get cleaner, and by the end, she was she was laughing. She had a belly laugh like a like a six month old child that that you know that giddy abandoned fullness that's in that. Do you know what that you know what that's like? Have you ever thought that you know sometimes you you have a moment maybe today uh, an awkward moment where you laugh and you say I've I haven't laughed like that in years, and I want to say to you why is it what is it we're losing what is it we're losing in the natural we're losing it but in the spirit we're losing it it is an inability to respond to God it's an inability to respond because we are being shaped. Uh, by pressures that tell us what we ought to be. We, we are told what we need to be in order to get ahead. We are told what we need to be to fit in. We are told what we need to be in order to be a part of the gang. Or, or we are told what we need to be to be mature. And all of these things are artificial behaviors that we are dressed in, and we lose the, the innocence. We lose the authenticity. We lose the freedom of being uh, just who we actually really are. And so... Uh, I saw that that had happened to this girl, and I, and I, I didn't think about it, but uh, I feel like God is wanting to do something in our lives, not in the area of laughter, but in the area of weeping. See, we, we've done the laughter thing. We've laughed, and that's great, and I, loved, I love the joy of the Lord, the celebration. But this generation and this people and this culture does not know how to weep, lament, and mourn. 
and we've talked about it for the last few weeks. James tells us very specifically when you have trouble and these things in your life, he said, this is what the problem is. The problem is pride. The problem is lustful desires. The problem is, and he lists it, and he said, the solution is uh, 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 draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then he says, weep, mourn, and, uh, and, and, uh, and lament. Mourn and lament. And, uh, you know, I got to say, we don't know how to do that. My wife has told me for 25 years, said, I've never seen you cry. And, and I've cried, but I, I, I don't cry a lot because I cried so much in my youth. And I, uh, there came a point where I decided I, I did not want to cry anymore. And so I, there's this inability in me to respond deeply or fully because in some ways it's, it's humiliating. It's, and I, I mean, there have been moments where it's happened. I cried at my mom's funeral but I don't let myself go past a certain point, and I have lost the ability to do that. I, I don't know how to do that. And I'm, I'm asking because it's not just about weeping, and it's not just about laughing. It's about a capacity to respond to God with what's on the heart of God. It's a, it's a capacity to align with what God is feeling. And, and believe me, it's not just a matter of acting things out. It's not just a matter of, of imitating. It's a matter of connecting in the spirit to something that's in the heart of God where we intuitively, automatically just respond. And I remember a, a time a few years ago, there was this young boy who was known to be truly, truly sensitive to the Lord. And we were in Guatemala, and he's, uh, he's from eastern Canada, and he was there with a, a team of people. And uh, in, the, in this particular session, and they, you know, the Latino people, they love to celebrate. And, uh, of course, the default of their sound is always go to celebration. And we're sitting there in the service, and there's celebration, there's celebration, there's celebration, there's celebration. But I feel this rock in my spirit. I feel this. I just feel this mourning of God. I feel this lament, but, you know, I feel it, but I don't know how to respond to it. I just get serious. That's, as, that's as all I can do. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Why is this happening? Anyway, I turn around, and, and the whole, I mean, there's a thousand people there, and the whole room is rah, 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 uh, you know, celebration, laughing, jumping up and down. And right behind me, this little kid, he's like 11 years old or 12 years old, and I turn around, and he's just sitting there, and he is weeping. He is, he is weeping, and, and the tears are running down his face, and he's, he's just crying. I mean, he's all of his eyes are red, and, and, and just he's wet with tears. And I, I go up to him, I said, I said, what are you feeling? And he says, I don't know. And I thought, what is this? What is this? What is this that we lose as adults when we cannot respond to the heart of God without a good reason? Do you hear what I'm talking about? We are led so much by what we understand. If somebody dies, now we can justify. If the conditions of life tell us it's okay to do this, it's socially acceptable to do this, then we do this. We are not free to respond to God. We do not know how to respond to God. And one of the things I'm asking, because I believe, I believe what's coming is built on a capacity of a people to respond purely to God without any restraint, without any holding back, without any, without any justification, no pride, no, no resistance whatsoever, no rebellion, nothing in us is resistant to him. That we are so in tune, we just, what God feels, we feel. How would you like that? Is that something that, would, that, that you think we should have as Christians? I'm telling you, there, you know, huh, the, uh, that song comes back to me again and again and again. Kevin Prosh in the album King of Saints from years ago. And it, uh, it, it's praising God as the King of Saints, but it's talking about the army that's going to rise up. And it says, whoever heard of an army, O Lord, that conquered the earth through weeping and mourning and brokenness. Are we broken over the condition of society? Are we broken over the loss of our children to darkness? Are we broken over what's happening in Bangladesh, over what's happening in... Man, never mind other parts of the earth. We don't even care what's happening in the next county so long as things are still good at my house. 
well, you know, occasionally we start to care, you know, if we find some place of empathy and, and bridges, but largely we don't have the capacity to care more than a few meters beyond the conditions of our life. And if we are really in touch with God, well, you know, that extends a little bit further, but there's something in the heart of God that he wants to impart to us. God's heart is for the whole world. God's heart is for all the lost. God's heart is for every person. Just the other day I was driving, and, and I've been talking about this because God has convicted me again and again that the attitudes of my heart are not his attitudes. And I was driving by somebody, and I, and I, I can't remember what the nature of the thought was, but it was so just, it was just there, and I, I thought this thing about them. And, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Mark, do you respect that person? And I realized, no, I don't respect them. I don't have regard for them. Because they don't meet any criteria. They're meaningless to me. Well, he said they mean something to me. They mean something to me. How can we, see, how can we carry out the commission of God? How can we carry out God's heart, God's plan, if we don't care for the things that he cares about? It's not, and it's not about making yourself do it, and it's not about shaming yourself if you're not. It's about saying to God, God, I want your heart. I know I don't have it, and I don't even know how to get it. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I try to feel the right things, I can't do it. And he said, that's why you weep, lament, uh, mourn, and lament, because it's beyond you. And there's a brokenness that has to come to your life before this will reach you. Are you hearing me? And I don't mean to be sounding angry. I'm not angry, but I am consumed with something this morning because this is what fasting and prayer does. It causes you to diminish and him to increase. Here's the second thing. He said, there, there is a softness of heart that opens the mysteries of heaven. There is a softness of heart. There is something, a heart condition that allows the mystery of heaven to open up without which the mysteries of heaven are not even perceived by us. Let me read this scripture. It's in Mark chapter 8, verse 15 to 21. Father, we cry out to you, God, do this thing in us, we pray. It says, then he charged them saying, take heed Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we brought no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said, Oh, Lord. Said, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hard? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how the baskets full of fragments did not take up? And, they, and he said to them, 12. And also, he, and he goes on to explain. He says, listen, we had less stuff to start with, and we ended up with more before, and then we, we had more stuff, and we ended up with less. It's not really about bread. How is it you did not understand? Now, he, what does he have to do? He has to appeal to the logic side of their brains in order to get them to understand. He has to do the math for them. He has to say to them, listen, by the sheer fact that this is scientifically the case, you should have realized just by deduction that I wasn't talking about bread. We live in that realm, and that is consistently where we live. But he's saying, listen, there is a capacity to perceive. There is a capacity that when God speaks, you you just understand the meaning and the intent of what he was saying. And in the same way, he rebuked the Pharisees. He said to them, he said, you, my, my word has no place in you. And the reason you can't understand my speech, the reason my words are confusing, they're enigmatic to you, they're a mystery, is because you can't receive my word. You can't hear my word. 
The word is an expression representing the spiritual essence of what he's communicating. It, it is it's like, a, it's like medicine in a capsule. The capsule is nothing. The medicine is what really counts. The capsule is just the carrier for what's inside. He's trying to say, look at my speech, my words, my sentences. These are not the word. You're listening to them. You're examining them, and you're confused because you can't catch in the spirit what I'm meaning. And so... There is a capacity. There is a capacity. And, you know, we get behind people who have greater capacity than us. And we honor them. We bless them. We follow their ministries, their teaching. But I'm telling you, that's only the beginning. God is saying, I want an army of people. I want a people who are in touch with my heart. I want a people who are intuitively connected. That the, when the wind blows like this, you're not sitting in the crowd saying, what, how come? What, what changed? Why did we change? What's going on here? You are not meant to be in the dark. And if you are in the dark, don't chalk it up to something else. The, uh, Jesus said to the disciples, how come you did not understand? He didn't give one of them the option that, oh, yeah, well, you're, you're this. You're an administrator. You guys aren't supposed to understand. You're a helps ministry. You aren't supposed to understand. He expected everybody to understand. In other words, it was within their reach to have that shift. But you know what? You can't reach for something you don't know you don't have. You can't, you can't long for something that you, you think you have already. And that's the pride that binds us into our status quos. That's the thing that keeps us from going where God wants to take us. Oh, Father, 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 give us this. Give us this, Lord. Give us your heart. Give us the capacity to respond to you and know your heart. Lord, we want to be like that 11-year-old boy. Father, we want to God not to have a justification. We won't need, Lord, to say while we're crying, God, we want to respond to your heart. Now, here's, here's the grim reality is that we, we see in part and we know in part. We see in part and we know in part, but God's aim is to increase that part. But there's, a, there's two scriptures I'm going to allude to, but it shows that there's a principle in the kingdom of God. Because, uh, and I'll read what I, what I experienced in Hong Kong because it ties into that. I saw something on a, on a, on a global level that just was unbelievable. I saw dynamics of the kingdom of God shifting and coming into play, and it filled me with a hope that the, the problems in the nations are inconsequential, that the problem with the government, the problem with antichrist, the problem with sinners, the problem with principalities and powers, it's all secondary. Because the weaponry of God, there is, a, there is a level of the glory. There is a level of the presence. There are mechanisms that are coming into play that are going to shift the nations in the days to come as we've never seen. But it's going to happen because there are people that have seen them. There's a people that have engaged with them. But there is a limitation on our sensitivity, and hence there is a limitation on our knowledge. There is a limitation on our perception, and so there is a limitation on what we can draw upon. But this is what he said. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 7, 6. He says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And then later in 2 Peter 2.12, he says, But these, like brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, I know he's not specifically talking about faithful saints, but it, it underscores a principle that, that our alignment with God, our understanding, our ability to perceive the heart of God comes in increments. It comes in layers. And... Uh, and what I, ha what I saw in Hong Kong was, was this, and let me try, I'm trying to explain it because I feel like we are sometimes on a journey. And I remember years ago, my dad was trying to find our house in Vancouver, and he, and he got on the freeway, 
and he kept missing the exit. And each time he missed the exit, it was 15 minutes to drive across the Port Man Bridge, come around, go up to the next two exits, and come back around. And he missed it three times. Even though my mom told him this is the exit, he could not see it. He could not believe it, and so he could not take it. And so he kept going around and around and around, and he could not see the, the exit point to his destination. Spiritually, that's happening to us constantly. There are realms of the Spirit. In the midst of our worship, we are going by open doors. We are going by on ramps to greater things, to more intense uh, dimensions of the presence of God, but we cannot perceive them. We cannot see they're there. And there is, there is a, there's an ability that comes to us to perceive. So he gives the example, don't cast your pearl before swine. What he's saying is this. He says, you can't give treasure or precious things to those who cannot perceive their value. That's the kingdom principle. And God lives by that principle. When it comes down to, to giving us the precious things, the mysteries of God, he is not going to give something to us that we cannot appreciate. And so that's why the Bible talks about stewardship. It's not because it's right to steward and effectively walk with what you have, but it proves that attentiveness to be careful what you've been given is the groundwork, is the beginning of the groundwork that you can receive something else. He that is faithful in little is faithful in much. And so, but we are restrained. We are restrained by this that, you know what, our, we have in our minds a certain quality of lifestyle, a certain quality of living, a, a certain level of social functionality that as soon as we get that and we're thinking, you know, this is what I've always longed for, that becomes the cap. And God is saying, listen, this is not the cap. This is not about you. This is not. Everything will filter down to you, but it's much. it's about something far greater than your personal fulfillment. It's something far greater than even revival. It's about the kingdom of God engulfing and filling the earth with the glory of God, Father. So let me read a couple of things. There's a journey. If, read, if you read Job, the story of Job tells us about these things. Here's Job. He's a great Christian, Old Testament Christian, believer, faithful man. God even says, have you considered my servant, Job. He's amazing. Now, God doesn't need to prove anything to Satan. Make no mistake about that. This is not about proving something to Satan. This is about Job. This is about something Job, God wants to give to Job. But presently, Job cannot perceive it. All he can perceive and see is this level of raw obedience, which he has done to the T perfectly. And so at the end of all the dealings of God, all of the things that God allowed. Now, again, yes, it was Satan, but God was the one who permitted it. Why? Because he has a vision for Job's life beyond what Job knows. And he said, then Job answered and said, this is at the end of things. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have muttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you will answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and re uh, repent in dust and ashes. What, what, would he, what are we talking about? We are talking about a degree, a quantum leap in Job's perception of the precious. God is saying, listen, there are, there are things beyond your comprehension, and you are toiling virtually in the mud, just barely into your destiny as sons and daughters of a heavenly kingdom whose resources know no end. And you are languishing at the bottom end of the spectrum. And I'm looking for a people who are beginning to perceive that there is more. Who are beginning to perceive that there is more. And it's beyond your capacity to move into. The things of God, the mysteries of God are past finding out. You can't get into them. 
by deduction, and you can't get into them by effort. So let me read what I saw in Hong Kong because it plays into what this is really, really, really about. We need to know that God has a global plan to transform nations. God has a global plan to unseat principalities and powers. God has a global plan, and Jesus is not enacting this. Jesus is set down at the right hand to the throne of God until his enemies are made his footstool. And his father said, I'm going to raise you up a bride. I'm going to raise you up a people who will execute my will on the earth. Are you into that? Here's what I wrote. There are profound elements in the breakthrough unfolding before us in these days in Hong Kong. Like any treasure, it is locked and hidden from those who might trample it underfoot. Even now it opens. In the Hong Kong homecoming gathering, we witness the unmistakable evidence of spiritual movement. It foreshadows a breakthrough sound emerging on a baffling scale. In the midst of worship, there was an unusual engagement. The typical sounds of voices and music suddenly took a turn, taking on a new significance. My spirit was awakened to a level of rare heavenly activity. While we only hear and see in part, it became clear that the dimensions of kingdom authority were now in play. Like the tumblers of a great lock, wheels within wheels began to turn. In that moment, I saw the universe itself as it were the assembly of wheels within a majestic timepiece. Heaven and earth were aligning and creating an opportune moment. Some might call it a kairos moment. The wheels themselves are significant and more than simply telling time. They are part of a mystery. The mystery points to the mechanical divide between heaven and earth. In that moment, it felt like we had dialed into something transcendent and eternal. Once the tumblers fell into place, an alignment emerged which released the next wheel into motion, which up to now had been inactive. I heard the deep, thunderous sounds of massive machinery locking into place and was aware that only unusual faith, humility, and a peculiar unity made this possible. This was a birthing in the destiny of nations. Devotion was a profound key in this process. Expressions of total submission and abandonment to God engages these wheels of destiny. It invites a manifestation of the Holy Spirit not attainable any other way. Today the church is beginning to interact with the sounds of creation calling. These sounds are deep groaning, the deep groaning of the earth longing for release, Romans 8, 22. At the same time, there is a new understanding being imparted. Evident in the homecoming is a growing comprehension of both cause and effect for the kingdom of God. We are beginning to see what will release God on earth. This is no small miracle as the secrets of God are elusive and beyond discovery. They must be revealed. The homecoming gathering reflects key advances in the people of God. It demonstrates a company who long for God and his ways. They are rising in the knowledge of his glory, informed with the spirit of revelation and wisdom. They will know how to establish the conditions for manifestation. There are, there are levels. There, I, I, you know, when I was watching The Lord of the Rings and I remember... There was the sense of these massive uh, spiritual things and these, these, these uh, engagements and these alignments. When they came to pass, they released darkness. Yeah, that, that, that is true in the kingdom of darkness because it is true in the kingdom of light. The only difference is Satan has servants whom he compels to serve them. him. They, they, are, they are compelled. They are driven. They are bound. They are unable to think any other thought except that that demonic compulsion comes on him. And so he's always seeking to gain a further hold in order to leverage their obedience in order to do his will. In the kingdom of God, it's not like that. God has volunteers. God has people who, of their own free will, given the choice to go left or right, choose the line that God is revealing. And I've decided I want to be one of those people. 
Now, what about, what are the steps that need to happen? What are the steps that need to happen for us to enter into this? Well, for starters, most of us, now, again, I, I don't know what your individual capacity is. Women generally cry more easily. We have a few men here who can, who are unashamedly able to release that emotion. And again, it's not about your gifting. It's not about your personality. It's about restrictions. It's about inability to be human. Inability to be sons of God. Sons of God and daughters are aligned with the heart of their father. And uh, I have to say, in relation to my experience in Guatemala, a little child led me. I perceived the heart of God such that I could not allow myself to rejoice, but I could not enter into the lament and the mourning that this little boy seamlessly allowed to overtake him. Now, this here book, God Chasers, I recommend it. I just borrowed and I kind of wrecked it. But, uh, sorry, Nikki. But in one place, it, it talks, and the theme of this chapter is, is about dead men see his face. Uh, and there's a whole principle behind that, but he gives the testimony of the Argentinian revival that uh, transformed Argentina. And uh, even though, you know, Argentina's not fully transformed, the, the augmentation of the Christian evangelical population was on a scale unimaginable uh, before the early 50s. It was uh, steeped in religious uh, mysticism, some of which was connected to the Catholic Church and other expressions. But here's the story of what happened before it says this is what happened in Argentina in the 1950s a man named Edward Miller wrote a book entitled cry for me Argentina in which he describes one of the origins of the great revival in Argentina that was destined to impact South America and ultimately the entire world dr. Miller is now in his 80s but for more than four decades earlier he was one of but a few Pentecostal full gospel missionaries working in Argentina he tells the story of how 50 students in his Argentine Bible Institute began to pray and had an angelic visitation. They had to suspend classes because of the heavy prayer burden they had, uh, burden they had for the nation of Argentina day after day. For 49 days in a row, these students prayed and interceded for, for Argentina. In this Bible school, Argentina was a spiritual wasteland at the time, as far as Dr. Miller knew. He said he only knew of 600 spirit-filled believers in the entire nation. During those years under the government of Juan Perón, Dr. Miller told me that he had never seen people weep so hard and so long in prayer. It had to be supernatural in origin. We know that much about interceding today. Many of us think it consists of screaming against evil spirits. But that's not what needs to happen. We simply need for Father to show up. Doctor told me that the students wept and cried after, day after day. And the title of this paragraph says, It could only be described as unearthly weeping. He mentioned that one young man leaned his head against a concrete brick and wept until after four hours a trail of tears ran down the porous wall after six hours passed he was standing in the puddle of his own tears these young intercessors wept day after day and he said it could only it could only be described as an unearthly weeping these students were simply repenting for something weren't simply repenting for something they had done that's the point this is not about us far greater than us they had been moved by the Spirit into something called vicarious repentance in which they began to repent for what had happened through others in their city, their region, and their country. <sighs> anyway, that was the origin of this thing. Now, I believe 
there's something called the sovereign move of God where God moves upon people and the people are generally unwilling and it, they're victimized by the presence of God where God just, by His grace, pours something out on it because it just has to be done. It's the moment in time. But that's not how He wants to finish the, the, the chronology of man. He wants to finish it with the people, like the men of Essekar, people of understanding, who know the times and the seasons, who know the heart of God. You know, it says in Daniel about those who know their God and do exploits. We, this is, he doesn't want to do this in a vacuum. He wants to do it with a knowledgeable, responsive people. And, uh, and so there is a grace. There is a moment. There is, there is something being released to us that can enable us to cry out to him for something we can never do in our own strength that we can never come into. But like that meeting in Guatemala where God was doing something, not everybody in the room perceived it. I didn't fully perceive it. I perceived it in part, but I did not understand in order to actually steer the meeting until much later. And it was confirmed by and it was helped by the fact that here was a young man who was a catalyst for me uh, to enter into that. Now, the Bible says there are always going to be people who are more responsive to the heart of God. And our, our goal, when we start sensing, is to begin to grow sensitive to the Spirit of God and to begin to discern when somebody is responding to the Spirit of God so that if even if you can't perceive the way they perceive, their response opens a window for you if you begin to align. Now, you have to set aside pride. You have to set aside all of the mental, you know, reasoning around, is this legitimate? Will I be embarrassed? Is this below my, dig my dignity? But if you're not willing to do that, you will write off what's happening. And usually there's always many experiences where people pretend to be doing that and aren't doing that in order to make it even harder for you. Because you're always acutely aware of those who are artificial and you're thinking, I don't want to do that. And so you are doubly disposed not to do anything until you're really, 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 really sure it's God. But you, God is not going to prove it to you. He needs you to humble yourself. He needs you to humble yourself. God, I want you so bad, even if this is not authentic, it's going to be my best effort to come after you. And here's what happens, is if you give your best effort, God will begin to give his. You will begin to erode something in your own mind. You will begin to erode something in your own inability to respond to God as you humble yourself. I remember when we were in Winnipeg and we were repenting for uh, the Jewish uh, anti-Semitism in our country and the part we had played, which we had not known, the the part the church had played to keep Jews out of uh, Canada before the Holocaust. In, I mean, it was atrocious, the things that went on we didn't know. And, and a lot of Christians were involved in politics who had their hand in keeping this from happening. And there was something on Canada, that, and we didn't know. And, we, and God was saying, I'm calling you together. Call for the weeping women to come and uh, weep and mourn and lament. Well, how do you do that when it's not even your sin? How do you do that when it doesn't affect immediately your life or you can't see how it affects? It takes tapping into the heart of God. And some do that better than others. And I did not have the ability to do that. But as I got in, in the spirit, I crouched behind those that could. Something that was on them began to flow to me. And now that still takes humility. It still takes you willing to look stupid looking, you know, uh, snot all over the floor, undignified, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. It is not dignified to weep and cry in front of people. But the question is, do we even have the desire? Do we even have the sense of what's missing on the earth? They were saying, God, we love everything you've done, but there's a missing part because we haven't seen the fullness it's not about denigrating what has happened. It's just the knowledge that there is, there is, you are greater than this. We celebrate and we honor this and this and this and this, but we cannot deny that there is more. <sighs> Jesus said to the people of Jerusalem that day, he said, because you did not know the day of your visitation.
this is what's going to happen. Because you did not know the day of your visitation. You can trace and you can follow the history of revivals. When God began to pour out his spirit and the people began to move into something, they weren't perfect. They were full of flesh and all kinds of errors and pride and human weakness. But the religious used that to set aside everything and to dismiss it. And God closed a door. And the prophets and the intercessors in Saskatchewan prayed for 20 years, repenting for the way the church, particularly in Saskatchewan, because it started in Saskatchewan. And for 50 years, Saskatchewan was locked, locked financially, locked uh, in terms of industry, locked in terms of government, locked in terms of mindsets. And only a few years ago did it start open up. Why? Because there is always a price to be paid when God begins to open a door and the people say no because they do not perceive the importance of what's happening. So what we're saying is, God, I, I don't want to miss the, my on-ramp. I don't want to miss my on-ramp. See, we're going to stand before the Lord in heaven and we're going to realize how many on-ramps we missed. And we're going to see that there were specific things that came into our families, that came to our churches. I, I know this. Let me tell you, I know this. I know this. Because some of the things that have happened here were the result of me. And, I, and I'm not saying that because I'm any, any worse than you. But that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. It's God deals with the people according to leaders, but leaders are the litmus of the people. They're representative of the heart of the people. So you can't blame your leader when your leader makes a decision because of his blindness because it is the aggregate of all everyone's sight that causes the pastor to see spiritually. Do you know that? It works that way. We're limited that way. But I'm telling you, when I saw churches victimized by a Leviathan spirit and unusual division entering into it, uh, on a few occasions, because I didn't understand it, I sided with accusers going back 20 years. And I, 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 I did not perceive. I thought, no, there must be something wrong. There must be something dreadfully wrong. But there was a level of confusion that entered. And I did not have the back of the leaders. Friends I know, just 10 years ago, in another town not far from here, went through that, and I sided with the whispers of a Leviathan spirit. And you know what happened? You know what, you know what happened? Here. It came here. Because we opened the door. I opened the door. And why am I lamenting and, and mourning and weeping? Because I know I don't see. And these moments are going to come along again. These windows and these opportunities for glory or for judgment, for, for to open the door to a wrong spirit, to open the door to a right spirit. And I'm saying, God, make us sensitive. Make me sensitive. Make me sensitive. Make me sensitive. And you may, you may think I am sensitive, but I'm telling you, when I get around David Demian and I get into those meetings, I feel as blind as a blind man. I, I, you know, I am offered, I'm offered the stage, I'm offered the mic sometimes, and I just don't even know where to start. And, I, you know, I just cannot see. Why? Because it's another level. More elusive mysteries are taking place at that level, and I don't have it to perceive, to steward that, because I can't even see where the doors are. Now, when somebody more significant than myself opens those doors, then I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of feeling that. And I had a twinge of it, but I could not separate it from all the other things that were in my heart. What is it? What is that ability to see clearly? Ah, this is the way. Walk ye in it. How do you get that? How do you get that? We have to cry out for it. We have to, this is, we have to know, like the church uh, of Laodicea, that we are blind, miserable, naked, Poor, that that's what we are. Yeah, but we have this and the other church. It doesn't matter. I'm glad for what we have. But it's not, it's not what we have that will complete us. It's getting what we don't have that will complete us. 
But if you can't see it, if you can't perceive it, then you can't long for it. You can't cooperate with it. So I'm not denigrating, again, everything we have, but wholeness requires all the parts. All the parts. Well, I have more parts than others. God. So Diana's headed on her heart. And again, I want, I want us to respond to the Lord. If there was ever a time to humble yourself. And I'm not going to be looking around the room and saying, oh, why didn't he, why didn't she? Because I know we got visitors, we got people who are new. And, but I'm telling you, church, uh, there's a moment coming we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And if Jesus' own disciples right there with him could not perceive, and he said, having eyes do you not see, having ears do you not hear, who are we to think that would be humiliating to accept that? It's not humiliating. It's our condition as humans. But we are being taken from glory to glory. We see in part, but we can see in more tomorrow. On Friday night when um, Pastor Mark gave the call to cry out, uh, I think because God has really showed me how to trust him, I had no idea. I had nothing to cry about. I had nothing in my heart. I had not, no feeling of cry. And so I was like, okay, he said to cry. Uh, and it was so fake. And it was so full of performance and it was so and I knew it but I was like I don't care I don't care I don't care I know you who were in the room probably heard it and heard it as a sound oh what it, oh it, it doesn't even sound it's this doesn't sound real it's but I knew that but I didn't care I thought I just have to release my heart and about five minutes into doing that all of a sudden it was like oh <gasps> That's why, and I maybe a tiny revelation, a tiny revelation to why a cry needed to be released, but I had to cry first. I had to actually go there. And when um, Steve brought that, um, Steve brought that word the other night, I, um, I almost wanted to finish his sentence because he said, we are entering into a season of, and my flesh said, rejoicing. Because I felt like, wow, we fasted for three days, and it's been 21 days of, you know, uh, like, it's just so full of myself. And he said, weeping. And when he called for that, and you even repented for saying that you had not said it earlier, but I believe that we needed to be in the place we were at in order for that word to be released, that we actually knew how weak we were, and we knew that a season of weeping needed to come. And... I felt like, well, where's the rejoicing? And God's like, until you fully weep, you will not fully rejoice. And so there is this call from the deep for us to cry out. And it is the greatest freedom in the world. It's like, well, I don't want to be sad. And I think someone says, women, I want to speak to the women. We are terrified of losing control because we know when we lose control, sometimes we get mad. We say awful things. We take it out on our kids or our husbands or we do things or our minds go. We're so afraid of losing control. We don't want to look ugly. Our makeup's going to run. We're going to look terrible. We're going to look like a mess. And God, oh, our God is saying, it's time. It is time. So there I am this morning just reading along. And um, I get to Jeremiah 9, just where I was normally reading. So hear this. And I feel like the Lord said to me, don't just read it. Actually give it as a call today. I've submitted it to Pastor Mark. And he said that I could release this today. So I say... Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the morning women that they may come and send for skilled wailing women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water.
for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are plundered, we are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing. Oh. And everyone her neighbor, a lamentation. For death has come through our windows and has entered our palaces to kill off the children no longer to be outside and the young men no longer on the streets. Call for the morning women. Call for the morning women. When I was 10 or 11 years old, I was at an alliance uh, camp. And one night, I don't even remember, at a campfire, something was released. And something came over me of this heart, and I wept for four to five hours. And I still don't know why, but the Lord brought back that memory to me that it is not too young. It is not too young to weep. And I believe it changed the course of my life at that point. So I just speak to respond to his heart. I don't know how to do this, but it is his call. I know it witnesses in your spirits right now. We have held the prophetic words of God. As a child, what a Christmas gift. And it's just a matter of time before it's coming. But that's actually not the way it is. When a father's going to give a child a motorcycle, even though he has in mind at five years old, He's going to wait until he's 13 or 14, at least, before he gives it to him. And if that child does not come into an attitude of responsibility where he is ready for a motorcycle, even if he is 13 and 14, he will not get it. And there are prophetic words that have been given to this church. And that we have thought, oh, I'm just going to hang around here until it comes. But it's a matter of coming into a certain mind. Yeah. It's a matter of coming into a certain honesty, a certain truth. It's a matter of coming into a certain maturity regarding the body of Christ, regarding the atmospheres, regarding the dimensions of God's presence. Precious things. Precious things are about to touch the earth. But they will not touch all the earth. Only some of the earth, and they will spill out in degrees from those places. The Lord says, I have appointed this to be a place where they would be poured out. But rise up, rise up, rise up. Time for us to get serious. There was a time, there was a shift in my life, a dramatic shift. And after it happened, and after I saw what God was putting his finger on, it was clear that for weeks before, weeks before he was hinting at it, and it was embarrassing how obvious it was. When I look back at it, I go, how stupid could I be that I didn't see that? It was everywhere in my life. And he was saying over and over and over. And when you cross over into a revelation of the knowledge of God, and God transform you, suddenly you see attitudes of heart. How was it I did not see this? How, how could I have not seen the level of ambition, pride, and self centeredness Forgive us, God. Take years. Years. We don't want to waste any more time. There is no equation for the glory. 
Stop. 